right. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Frog Boxer podcast. This is the final one for season one. And today I have a big another heavy hitter in this one. Uh, I have Bryce Winkleman from Quantum Metric. How are you doing today? I'm great. Doing well, Jordan. It's good to talk to you. Yeah, uh, you and I met a while back, probably this summer. Uh, we were driving some Porsches. I, you didn't get to drive the Porsches, though, did you? I think we ran out of cars. <laughs> On that one, I didn't, uh, you know, but uh, the conversation was well worth the journey. So it was, yeah. good. It was good to be there. I think we had a lot of the the, the big leaders from the, the marketing and the customer experience space in the Southern California area at the event. Um, it was a really cool event. I think that those things like that, that bring people together to get conversation started and how we did the little circles at the end where we all shared ideas and problems that were happening was extremely useful. I think it's good for you guys to get uh, information from us that you might not necessarily get from us, but it's also good for us as peers in this industry to kind of share uh, what's happening to us now? I don't come from the marketing side, but I come from the the fraud side. So my customer experience might be a little different, and we'll talk about that uh, more related to false positives um, and things around the customer journey. So I think that that's where you guys can really help us out there uh, in the whole world and help all of us in this industry about. So yeah, how is that for a long intro there for you? <laughs> I love it. Hey, you know what? Sounds great. And honestly, like that's 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 the real magic of what we try to do is to bring great you know executive leaders together have great conversation there's a lot we can learn and and honestly creating those kind of social circles and networks and you know we get a lot from it too but we hope that you all do as well so no thanks for being there yeah and like i do want to like i've said it a couple other times on the podcast overall that like you know, I, I'm not, I'm a big fan of remote work. Like, don't get me wrong about that. I think that that's super awesome. It's really great for people's lifestyles. But when you get certain people in a room together and just have like like just just big brain shares, it's just so valuable. And that's one thing I do love about conferences. It's one thing I love about these little like happy hour style things. It just really like things that I know I've learned a lot. I've always gained a lot from it. Like things that I don't think about that other people have experienced. That then I come take a like a walk back look at my own stuff in, and then the relationships that you get out of it, you never know when you're going to need someone to help you out, you know, at the end of the day. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Absolutely. So let's talk about, about you. Um, you are the star of the show today and you have a pretty cool history that I think you were involved in some, some pretty big projects and, and, and things that, that we all have probably all had experience with at some point in our life. So if you could just give me a quick little rundown about your history, because you are a C-level executive at your organization. So the road to get to C-level usually is, is a pretty windy one that comes with a lot of uh, trial and error and a lot of experience. So if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, hey, absolutely. I'll try not to bore you. Um, but no, it's been a fun career. There's been a lot of interesting stops along the way. Um, with different opportunities. I would say at uh, at the heart of everything I do, I love to build. Like that is ultimately what I am super passionate about. And so I had a unique opportunity, uh, just, you know, 15 plus years ago to join a company in a basement, uh, literally in a basement of a house, uh, kind of the very beginnings of uh, kind of setting the world on fire. And so I had an opportunity to go and join that organization and help them build. And first kind of project, in fact, you know, the actual First, first project I did on day one was I was a human text analysis engine. So we got a bunch of data. We were in the uh, kind of voice of customer space, experience management space. And so got a got some data, um, qualitative data from a customer. And it was like, hey, look at this spreadsheet, read the responses, and then try to assign a, uh, a sentiment to it. Try to give like an emotion to it. And there was like a key with different emotions. And so I was like, <laughs> I was reading a response. And then trying to figure out, is this frustrated? Is this happy? Is this angry? Is this, what is this? And so anyways, I actually learned as the years went by and this all became automated and, you know, um, 
you know, you know, this whole world of kind of natural language processing came to be like, it actually probably was far more effective than even I was personally as a human reading it and trying to assign um, an emotion to an open-ended text response. Anyway, so that was kind of like project on day one, but my first real project was running the higher education business. And so figuring out how to work with universities. And when you're in a startup, you know, you get exposed to a whole bunch of different unique opportunities. You're, yeah. you're, you're, you're really kind of like dog years. And, uh, and so it was like, Hey, figure out how we're going to uh, sell it, figure out how we're going to price it, figure out how we're going to drive onboarding and adoption, figure out how we're going to really support the customer. It was a whole range of things. I remember even there was a university of Michigan professor who was, you know, we were sitting there doing some UX research with her on a future iteration of the product. I'm not a UX researcher, right. But that's just the kind of stuff you get exposed to. And so, um, anyways, was, uh, part of building that, that piece of the business from a, you know, 12, business schools to about 1300 universities a couple of years later and then oh, wow. expanded from that got oh. some unique opportunities to kind of help open latin america run a healthcare vertical continue building on the higher education piece um got shipped over to europe with my family had an opportunity to go do a bunch of you know how to go build a tech company inside of europe and so that was a really unique opportunity to go do that and kind of got really heads down in the sales organization and running that there and got sent back and was given a unique opportunity to go build um, a business for more of a product perspective. And so there was a product in the digital CX space focused on capturing voice of customer and digital channels. And that was really unique, kind of took a product that was on the shelf and we got engineering and product on it and we rebuilt the roadmap and relaunched the sales organization. And so it was kind of like refiguring out how to take that product and sell it, position it, market it, price it, do everything we needed to do. And so that was that was a lot of fun. Um, and actually in that, in that role, I got to meet, um, the founder and CEO of quantum metric, uh, which is where okay. I'm at today on the executive team, but that's, that's kind of where those worlds, you know, really intersected. And, you know, we, we can talk about it more later, but there was this interesting realization I had of like, you know, there's, there's the voice of the customer and what they say, but, and, and that's incredibly valuable. Like that is gold mm -hmm. to organizations, but you know, if you really want to optimize, the experience, like what you really need to do is bring that kind of sentiment and experience data coming from the customer and you combine that with their behaviors and it creates a level of actionability and the ability to prioritize like I just had never seen before. It was incredibly powerful. And so anyways, um, and so again, I'm, I'm happy to talk more about that later, but then moved yeah. on for that, went into the HR tech side of the business, helped run our employee experience business. Uh, we kind of 10 X that business over three years. It was a lot of fun. And, and, um, was ready to build again after that and uh, reconnected with quantum metric and had a really unique opportunity to find this organization um, in the right stage. It has the right addressable market uh, that's growing. It's really riding a wave. There was the right team and the right technology. And so I was really excited about the opportunity to go and build with the quantum metric team and have been on the executive leadership team there about, uh, I think about 16 months. And so it's been a real, okay. been a real fun journey. So yeah. those are, those are some of the stops and the things I was exposed to along the way. Yeah, because you were at the last company for like, geez, like 12, 13 years, I think, maybe even longer, right? Or you... Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I was I was there. And then um, partway in that process, um, I think about 12 years in, we got acquired by SAP. And so that was a unique opportunity. Go work for a 100,000 person German company and uh, got to see post-merger integration, what they looked at, you know, how to really go and work with global account directors. And, and it was just a complete shift of like, you know, yeah. kind of... Uh, you know, I would say more agile kind of new age tech working with kind of an older, very established tech organization. And I learned a ton over those those years. And then we ended up spinning out from SAP 
I think it was about two and a half years later and did our own IPO. And so I had a unique opportunity to see both a, a large kind of mega acquisition and then actually do an IPO as well within the same organization. So it was, it was a lot of fun. It was a great learning experience. Yeah. And I think like I, I actually remember when, when that acquisition happened. Uh, do you mind if I say the name of that organization? Yeah, feel free. <laughs> okay. Uh, that yeah. organization was Qualtrics, everybody. Um, they are a big voice of the customer company. I think we probably all have used them at some point on our websites. Uh, I know I've used them multiple times in the past. Pretty much everybody does. So <laughs> so congratulations yes, yes. there. That was a big one. Now, the voice of the customer thing, I think like just how you how you framed it right there into the customer behavior and merging those two things together is extremely interesting. So I heard uh, you guys probably have very different numbers than I do. I have been just doing my own research on my own. And I was reading that uh, about one in 26 people that have a bad interaction with the website, only one in 26 will ever tell that actual company that they had some sort of negative interaction. And the other 25 will tell their friends, tell their family, and just plain walk away and never do business. Now that's a, like, it doesn't seem like 126 might not seem a lot, but that's only, that's, I want everybody to remember, that's the only person that's telling you they had a bad experience. So when you look at all of those emails that are sitting in your inbox and they're all pissed off and you're like, you got somebody assigned to that trying to, to help them out or the people on Twitter, that's only one in 26. Like there's a whole bunch of people that just moved on in their life. And I would say I'm probably the person that's that one myself. Cause I, if I have a bad time, especially for something that I really want, I'm going to vocalize it, but there are countless websites that, and I think that we should talk about it when we get into, to your thing, but especially this Christmas season already, I would like to talk about why I'm having a conflicted moral moment on this shop small versus who's going to get it to me in Christmas time. And we can talk about that when we get a little further down the line. Yes. Here. Yes. Love it. <laughs> so love it, um, love it. Yeah, quantum metric is uh, I have had experience with quantum metric, not personally using it myself. Now, my previous company, Ticketmaster Live Nation, did use it uh, in marketing fashion. Uh, it, obviously, with the, the pandemic, our use of the product, I think it dwindled down a little bit. But a lot of my peers in the fraud industry use it to figure out um, they use a very specific piece of your tool, which is not the main piece of your tool. They use the session replay piece of the tool to find out where when sessions are kind of looking like ATOs and things like that to find out what customers are doing. But I think the more interesting piece of your, of your business is the other stuff that you do. So I would love it if you could just give us a quick rundown of quantum metric, what it is, what does it do? And what are you guys trying to solve that sort of thing? Yeah, absolutely. Jeez. Got to figure out where to start on that one. It's um, you know, let me, let me tell you this. So maybe I'll actually take it one step back and then I'll dive a little sure. bit deeper into quantum too. It's, um, you know, we, 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 we were talking about that world of experience data and operational data coming together. And it, I'm going to kind of go back to when I had that realization of the power of that. Now, first of all, it's important to know that quantum metric operates independently of voice of customer, right? And it actually provides an incredible level of detail into the actual customer experience, right? Yeah, like you guys we are, are the, the tech side. You're the tech side of that voice. Like basically yeah. I don't have to ask my customer the question. I'm getting That's the exactly data right. from you in a more passive fashion. Yeah, yeah, ex exactly. It's like, you know, the customer is exhibiting behaviors and leaving digital exhaust throughout their entire journey. And, and from that, you can pretty easily derive, like, where are they frustrated? What's going on? What's what's actually going on within this, this journey? And you can see that technically and behaviorally through just how a customer behaves and interacts. And, you know, but what I, what I started to see and understand is we were kind of doing this kind of voice of customer data over here. And then quantum metric came in. I saw this really interesting intersection because as, as you were saying there, Jordan, you know, you get a, a fairly low response rate. Sometimes you get a singular 
CSAT score, right? So someone gives you a one <laughs> yep. and sometimes they just say, Hey, your site's terrible. Right. And you don't like, what do you go do with that? Yeah. Like, how do you take action on that? And so I was able to see how quantum metric could come in and say, well, look, we have the ability to show you the exact journey that that person went through that led to that score. Okay, well, great. So now that's actionable. And then should you take action on that, right? Let's say you have millions of people coming to your site or even thousands of people coming to your site. If that's just a singular data point, it's just one person that had a problem. Do you derail the rest of your optimization efforts Thank you. to go and fix that one problem? And the answer is, well, it, it depends because what does that data point represent? And so what I was able to see Quantumetric could do is let's take a singular data point and we can actually show you how many other people had that same experience, but didn't say anything. Do you guys right? do like, uh, like the heat map things and stuff like that? Mm -hmm. Where like you can, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. You can yeah, see I... interactions, you can do heat maps, um, you know, but, but, but really it was like, and so where Quantumetric added a ton of value was like, we can extrapolate and see how many other people had that same experience. And then based on where it's happening in your site, what's the business impact? And so now you can prioritize it. And so when you think about what do we do is we enable organizations to drive digital optimization. We enable them to nail the customer experience in all of your digital channels for your customer. And that's by collecting all the tips, uh, you know, clicks, taps, scrolls. We can see what they're interacting with. We can see where they're rage clicking. You have the ability to gather all of that behavioral and technical data. We make sense of it for them. Here's what's going on. And then we help them understand from a quantified perspective, what are the biggest areas of opportunity to impact the customer and your business when it comes to optimizing based on how they're behaving on your site. So hopefully so, that's kind of a high level understanding. Yeah. And I think that that's something that we can, because the next part is going to be the part where we start to, to drill in a little more on that. So getting this data and looking at the data and, and making, I think one of the things that we struggle with in, especially in like the fraud industry, and I'm sure, I'm sure marketing industry does and everything is how to quantify dollars, put dollars to donuts on what, what something is like, what is, what is the, with, with marketing or the Google AdWords and things like that, you can, you can find a little more about what your click through is and what your, your conversion rates are. But when it comes to like fraud, for example, you know, like you can, you, there's, there's false positives. So that's one of the big things that we always look at is like, what is our false positive rate for, for us blocking a customer in the fraud world? Like, and a lot of times we can't quantify that with an exact dollar because we can't tell what's an abandon because of the fraud tool or what's just a general abandon, you know, we can look at retries, we can look at customer contacts, we can look at all of these different things. But if I block a customer and they just, they're one of the 25 that just leave and never come back, I don't know if they were a real fraudster or if they were a false positive. So if I can take a look at some sort of intelligence around a session, I would be able to say, okay, of these, these ones that I declined that never called me, here's what the quantifiable amount is that is actual related to my fraud tool versus just card abandons versus real fraudsters. And I could begin to put dollars around where I need to optimize my, I could grab those sessions. I could put them into to any sort of data science warehouse that I have and try and find what I can do to let those people through or whatever. Maybe, I mean, the answer might be nothing, but it's, it's something that I think that your tool when I go through it in my head and from what I've used it and, and, and or not personally use it, but I've seen other people use it and know of what it does is something that we can actually finally put dollars around that. Like I've been on, on panels a million times and I talk about false positives and it has never failed. Whenever I go to the, to the questions part of those panels, somebody asked me how I quantify the false positives. And I always have to say the worst answer, customer contacts. And mm. Like I just said, we all know that that's not like the most ideal way to do it. So I think that yeah, that's yeah. going to segue me into prompting you 
to talk more about customer experience, because in order to even have that, in order to even get to the point where we know we need a tool to track these journeys, to, to, to find that people are frustrated and why, we have to have somebody that's thinking about the customer. Now, customer experience is different than customer service, everybody. You're not servicing a customer here. There's a customer experience. And your, your company, if it's a large enough company, definitely has two separate versions of this. Now, those teams usually are next to each other or adjacent to each other or have the same leader. But those customer experience people are different than customer service people in that their goals and their ideas uh, are more aligned with the customer journey, I believe is how we commonly refer to it. Is that correct? Is that a good way mm -hmm. to put it? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So tell absolutely. me what, what to you guys, when you guys are thinking about it and, and in the general terms, because you're a leader in this particular space, what is customer experience? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, it's a very broad question, but a, a really important question to really answer. And I think it, you know, the, the answer to that may actually change based on the organization. But generally, the best way to think about it is, is meeting the expectation of the customer. Right, customer customer experience is about yes, it's delighting the customer. Yes, it, there's there's a lot of business impact behind it. But when it comes down to it, what you're really trying to do is to is to understand and meet the customer where their expectations sit. And if you can go beyond their expectations, even better. But identifying those experience gaps and resolving those gaps is the key to really winning the heart of the customer. And in a quantum, you know, our our mission is you know we help companies build cultures maniacally focused on winning the hearts of their customers. Like that's that's what we focus on. That's what we that's what we do. That's the, the core of all of our strategy that we're trying to do as an organization is helping organizations win the hearts of their customers. And so if you think about it from a um, from an expectation, meeting an expectation perspective, right? Um, what's interesting is that digital, and I've, I've seen this happen for years now, right? I really had my first kind of deep foray in the world of digital back in like 2014. And, and we were seeing a significant shift of the customer journey into digital channels, even back then, right? Customers are saying, hey, look, I want to engage with you as a brand in a in a digital perspective. And we started seeing that customer experience was more than just a smile and a and a handshake or can I help you find what you're looking for is now as it shifted into digital, it's also about speed and it's about ease and it introduced all these new variables. Then all of a sudden you have this pandemic hits and, and digital becomes the channel for customers to deliver a great experience for their customers. And and really, like, I don't see that ever stopping. And so we've kind of seen this massive adoption of digital as the critical channel in which you need to meet your customer and nail that experience. And so it's never been more important. And, you know, Jordan, I think you've alluded to this a couple of times. It's, you know, the, the, the impact is massive. It's more than just, hey, if you deliver a bad experience, you could forego a cart value. Yeah, okay, absolutely, we could lose a cart value. But if you deliver a poor uh, digital experience, you could actually lose the customer for life, right? So now you look at customer lifetime value yeah. and that starts getting really scary. And then you look at even beyond that and you start to think, you know what? The data shows that typically if someone has a poor experience, they don't just keep it to themselves. They typically tell an average nine other people. And now with social being as big as it is, like the, the platform customers have to share bad experiences is even bigger than that. And so you start to look at the critical nature of nailing the experience and meeting customer expectations has never been more important and digital as that place to meet them has never been a more critical channel. And, and it's, but it's hard to do. And I'm happy to talk about why it's so hard, but that's kind of how I start to think about customer experience. You got to understand and meet the customer from an expectation perspective. I think that that is a really good way to put it. Like 
if you think back like before the, the before digital times, like where we would have, you know, I was just watching um, the new Christmas story updated movie the other day. And they go, of course, that movie is trash. Everybody like they go, they just rehash all the good, the good jokes from the original Christmas story. Just watch the original <laughs> because they do all the same things. But there's one part on there where it, it sticks out to me in the, in this conversation. It's just, it's making me go right to that. It's like the Higby's toy store is that was when the kids go there inside that store it's shopping yes but it's an experience too so the experience that they're having while they're shopping and they're discovering especially with the kids is 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 fun it's enjoyable and that's how it used to be and i see you know like we always talk about engagement on websites even these these podcasts like i get anal, anal, like analytics all the time on like my engagement all of those sorts of things but like first of all like they can't see people clicking and, and commenting on my linkedin on on these episodes so they don't know what the engagement actually is i can see people listen to this episode maybe they click the like button whatever it is when it's on apple but engagement is 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 one thing but when you when we moved online how do you offer an experience much like the higby store that's a more browsing, enjoyable, fun experience. And I was, when I was cramming on my, my prep for this podcast, you know, I, I heard this, this term, and I don't know if it's a real term in, in the customer experience industry. I just saw this, this guy do this like long thing. And it was actually pretty interesting to me, but they called it artificial serendipity. And it is when you, you're creating a fun exploratory experience that, that makes the user just like kind of like in a euphoric sense about what's happening when they're using it and he used the example of like the netflix shuffle function like if you can't think of anything you just hit the button but it was fun for people to discover new content it makes it a more interactive thing and my site my website iherb is really good i think about looking for engagement like we have this thing called um learn and win right now so we put up these blog posts and if you go, it talks about like what, like, you know, like what a vitamin D is. So it's a terrible example, but then you come in and you take this quiz and it's related to that blog post. And if you answer it correctly, you get money, like actual real money. Like I'm not going to ship you a dollar, but I'm going to put some money on your account, you know, and it's a more interactive way. We do contests, especially for like our Asian markets where they have, they're really big into like the, like the little, uh, kind of like not the really necessarily scratchers, but those experiences where there's like there's a gift at the end. So we we put things like that to make sure that while people are interacting with our site, it's a fun and enjoyable experience. It's not so transactional. And I think that like a lot like I'm for me, I like to get in and get out when I'm buying things. But I just last night, I was just sitting on the couch scrolling through Amazon trying to find something. Now I think that their deals or their uh, holiday gift guides are terrible guides because it's all sponsored content now. And I'm not <laughs> discovering stuff that I want. Yeah. Like, look, yeah. I'm a guy, everybody. And my life is more than guns, whiskey and boots and cigars. Like those things, like I like my whiskey, but like, I'm not big on the other things. So, you know, I don't like, there's other gifts for men out there than just those things. And I wish that there was more, I wish I could like put in a couple of things that would like about me that it would then start to show me more relevant stuff. Like I like tech stuff. Mm -hmm. I already got an iPhone. I don't want an Alexa. You know, I don't, I don't, I'm a Google, this is a Google house over here, even though I got the iPhone, but it's just like these, I, I don't know if that's, if that's in your mind, if that's anything that I'm talking about right now is anything like that's sparking anything about the experience. But I just think about when I'm interacting with the website, clearly I'm there to buy something, but is it, is it more than that? Like it used to be in retail. You know. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, you know, Jordan, you've you 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 hit it right on. The real disruptive shift is that you're, you're right. You used to be able to walk into a store, and there was a 
um, a very advantageous ratio of store associates to customers. And it was really easy to look at every customer and identify, oh, there's friction here, or, oh, they need this, or, hey, can I help you find yeah. something you're looking for? Or, hey, do you need a different size? Or all of a sudden I can't check out for some reason. Oh, hey, well, let me help you with that. Let's, uh, let me just type in your card number. I can get this fixed. Like there, there are those people that are there to identify those, those, those issues. And then there's also an experiential element to it too, right? And we talked with a lot of organizations, just a retailer the other day that was just like, gosh, we have this, like you walk into our store and you have these, like, you have this like scent that you smell and, and you have these sites and it's decorated and all this stuff. And like, how do we do that in digital? Like we're trying to do that. And so like step one that we tell them is like, look, the, the, the first thing you got to realize is that digital is really, really hard to get right. Like, like imagine you walk yeah. into a store for a minute and you know, you go to, you go to look at some merchandise over here and bam, you run into a glass wall. You think, Oh my gosh, like, okay, that hurts. So maybe you navigate around the wall and you find what you're looking for. And then you go to check out and bam, you run into another glass wall and you think, Oh my gosh, like now I got to navigate around that wall. Like that kind of stuff happens in digital all the time. And, and, you know, and so organizations are always saying like, well, what glass walls exist? Where are they? Why do they exist? How do we get rid of them? Which ones do we need to get rid of first? And so really when we, when we look at digital, we're helping organizations figure out like, first of all, the first step is you got to get rid of those glass walls. You got to find and fix areas of frustration um, in order to get the kind of digital adoption that you're looking for. And then as you now have that, that operationalizes, you're finding and fixing these areas of frustration. Now you need to find and kind of optimize the experience. So, so what are the areas to drive optimization? What if you move this over here? Do you, you know, deliver a better experience or, or, you know, this is also where you see the rise of like personalization. And what's interesting is behind the scenes, and a lot of people don't know this, behind the scenes, these, these digital experiences, they have a ton of tech running to try to deliver a great experience. One, you know, obviously there's, there's um, teams that are designed to, you know, how do we reduce fraud? There are teams, how do we personalize the experience? There are teams on how do we, how do we experiment to find the best kind of like color combination, the best kind of merchandise pairings? Like, how do we go and do this? And and, you know, then there's, of course, there's quantum metric helping you identify where are we going to remove the glass walls and how do we optimize the experience generally? And so there's a lot that's going on in that space to deliver. How do we translate that in-store experience to digital, deliver as good of an experience, but with digital, part of the complexity is, is the shift now also introduces speed and ease. So it's not that someone always wants... Um, you know, that same kind of elaborate experience as they would in store, but maybe they want it to be fast and they want it to be simple. And that's why, that's why they're coming there. And so organizations just need to continue to invest in removing friction, finding areas to optimize, and then delivering a really great personalized experience. And I think those are the things we're seeing organizations really invest in so that they can have that kind of a shift and say, let's, let's interact with them in digital channels, but also continue to foster loyalty. So I think that like, uh, now my mind's going to like um, Stitch Fix, and how they curate their their experience like it's it's a little it's a it's like a hybrid of like human interaction and and digital so when i first joined them years ago obviously like i go through this long questionnaire and it it, it gets me in. and then i upload like a couple of photos of things i like and then you actually can attach your instagram and then you you get a message from your personal stylist and then from there it's they show you like two like things like here's two pairs of pants which one do you like boom boom and then it's just every every time I log into the app, it's not like 500 questions. It's like two or three, as many as I want to do. You know, here's one or two of these. What do you want? But every time I'm doing it, it's getting more personalized. And I can see it on there. The actual, like the the things that it's displaying to me are more relevant to the style that I am. Now, I'm kind of a weird anomaly because how I am in my personal life and how I dress in my personal life is significantly different than how I dress when I go to work. 
but that's just what it is. But the thing is, is I want to have a little bit of a tie-in, you know, to where I'm still comfortable and quote cool when I'm at work, uh, but still like, you know, professional at the same time. And I think that, that they were able to find a really good balance. So obviously during the pandemic, I kind of laid off my stitch fix because I don't need to have nice clothes anymore. And I can wear just t-shirts and shorts all day, but uh, <laughs> you know, that is what it is there. But I think that those little things where it's, it's a quick for me in my mind is going straight to those, those things where it's, it's improvement without realizing it's improvement. Like I log in, which one do you like? I click it and then I move on in my life. And then I go do what I got to do. But while I just spent those, those half a second to make that selection, the app was getting better at personalizing for me and my experience in the future. Then I go, I check the things that I'm keeping and then I get my label and off it goes, you know? And, you know, yep. Amazon kind of, Amazon, I think was better at it. And I think they're kind of pulling back in favor of um, more sponsored content than they were in the, in the original days where it was a little more tailored, but that's just my opinion, man. But uh, I think that that's, that's a, a really good point of like the, the glass walls and the feedback loop and, and how you guys, can help people with the feedback loop without really and the, the friction thing let's dive into the friction thing a little bit because in my world you know there's a couple of different points where we could do friction there's there's of course a login you could do 2fa so hey is this solve a captcha or do like which there's a couple of websites that make you solve a captcha every time you log in like that's bonkers to me but uh are you going to get a 2fa on this one and then uh when you get to the checkout like all sorts of like, here's solve this thing and log into your bank. If you use 3d secure, if you're logging into your account, like my, my Podbean, which I host this podcast on, um, they, even though I'm like, stay log in, if I navigate away from one page and then go back to it, it makes me like log in again, which I appreciate. So that way somebody doesn't upload a bunch of content that I don't want to my Podbean, but it can be frustrating if it's only been 15 minutes, you know, and like, it takes a little while for these episodes to process. But I think that those are very good points is like, where is friction and what is happening at friction points? Because I was at, when I was at Ticketmaster, I had the luxury that if you wanted, I won't even say her name because I wasn't there during that. And it wasn't my fault, but let's say you wanted Motley Crue tickets. How about that? We'll just go that direction. <laughs> and you had these floor seats to go see Tommy Lee hit those drums. And all of a sudden I popped a, you sign up into your uh, American express account in order to complete your purchase. I had the luxury there that people wanted that, those tickets and those items so bad that I could put almost anything friction in front of them and they would power through it in order to, to complete their purchase. And I've talked about this on the podcast before, but now I'm at a company where I have competitors all around me. I got vitamin shop. I got Amazon. I have just about everybody, but I can't put friction in front of them because if I put too much, they'll leave me and they'll go to somebody else that isn't putting friction on their site. So I think it's important, like I've always said on this, to, to strike that balance. But and it's even better if you can if you can really authenticate your customers earlier in a process, so you know mm -hmm. not to pop friction later. But I think it would be really interesting for a lot of businesses if they could find out what their customers really do when they pop friction. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In fact, interesting. I did a webinar with a Forrester analyst. She was talking about the fact that in certain industries there is positive friction. I was like, that's an interesting concept. And she's like, look, like think about like security requirements. Like if you are working with a financial services institution and you know, you're trying to log into your bank and if there's nothing that requires any level of security, yeah. like actually that that reduction in friction is a really scary thing. Now, so so in certain industries, you know, introducing Good elements point. of friction is actually a really positive thing and it actually enhances the experience because again, managing the experience is about meeting customer expectations, right? And they're going to expect something that has a little bit of friction in to ensure that there's going to be security. Now, I think organizations can also then start to get 
complacent and say, well, then they're just going to continue to work with us and we can introduce friction and we can do all of this and we won't be customer centric. And I think there's absolutely a line. And, and I think that we're seeing a lot of interesting strides in the world. I mean, Jordan, you know, a million times more about fraud than I do. And, you know, in your world of fraud, fraud prevention, but there's interesting things coming out too, even in that space around innovation on reducing friction, but having the same level of security. It's, it's a fascinating space, but I would say that's where that's where it becomes really important that the organization is able to quantify and say, okay, you're right. What happens when we introduce friction? What is the line? And at what line do we actually start to see people rage click? At what line do we start to see elements of behaviors from that visitor that show that we're actually, now we're no longer delivering against their expectations. They're abandoning, they're leaving, they're clicking somewhere else. They're gone. Like, and we can start to understand what does that line look like? But unless you understand the customer behaviors, it's really hard to find where that line is of healthy friction versus really destructive friction where, you know, and, and even though, you know, switching costs vary based on industry, there are certain industries in which like we're seeing more and more competition pop up all over. So if you are a bank, you know, if you're a traditional retail bank, man, there are so many fintech um, kind of like digital only banks that are coming out there and they're starting to reduce the amount of friction. And I'm telling you what, even though it's a pain to switch banks, you're going to lose customers. And so yeah. like that concept of like finding that right line, you got to look at the customer behaviors. You got to understand it. You got to quantify it. And then you can make critical decisions as a business. Yeah. I think uh, a, a real good example of like, just for, for regular um, folks in the world, like there's the, it's, it's the Robin hood versus E-Trade scenario. Like, Robinhood is super easy to get into. It's super easy to log into and super easy to buy your stuff. E-Trade, it's more geared towards people that know what they're doing. Harder to log into, even on my phone. Like I got to log in every time. I got to do that. But I will say their their um, 2.75% interest uh, savings account is amazing right now. So <laughs> not endorsed <laughs> by luck. them, but I just I just like uh, high interest yield savings accounts. But uh, but it's just like like it's interfaces. Like when I'm logged into when I I use E-Trade as my primary brokerage account for my personal stock life. And I I just know how to work it because I've used it for years, you know. But when I log into like a Robinhood just to play around, like that thing's so slick. And essentially I do the exact same things if I want to in both. Like if I buy a share of a share of a share, I can do it in either one. It's just that Robinhood one is so slick and so dialed in, you know, when the E-Trade is like clunky and like very much a sign of its time you know when like fintech mm -hmm. was was really mm -hmm. starting to hit its stride you know but now the whole fintech thing is like it's such a weird space like with these little meta banks that we have that are just like overnight you know how to get your money transferred in and out easy have all of the the newest technology like your plaids you know your zells all of that to get the money out of it and back into it quickly send it to your friends all the, the cool hip stuff and then you have like your old Chase banks and, and those things that aren't quite up with that, you know, but they're more grounded in reality. It is it is a very different way that they have dialed in their experiences to like, I think you put a great way is meeting their customer expectations. Now, those customers of those things are probably different on each one, like Chase's customer. Yeah, there's going to be some that would want to use one of the meta banks to connect spend or something like that. But there probably is a very different like Gen Z versus, you know, boomer versus uh Millennial, to use the derogatory terms, I believe that we have for all of the poor uh, <laughs> generations these days. But like, you'd have to know your customers and their expectations as well, you know. So I think that that's a really, really good way. And what was the the thing that you said there was the um, was it positive friction, right? Um, I I got to remember to put that in your uh, because I think that that's a really, a really that's a cool way to put that. I'm putting that in your uh, description when this episode goes live. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, there you go, very good. Yeah, I know, so I mean, it's yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Keep going, please. Yeah. I don't want to stop you. <laughs> no, no. I mean, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And you, you start to think about it and again, and, and that's why you got to be so careful as an organization to say like, Hey, we're just going to introduce friction for the sake of, you know, any, any number of things. Like you got to always be very thoughtful, careful, knowing that there is positive friction. There are things that the customer expects, but then also at the same time, knowing that, you know, when you look at a lot of the disruption that's happened over the years, and there's a ton of examples, right? You look at like, you look at like a Netflix or you look at, um, and, and Uber, you look at all these things and you start to say like, really the differentiator, the disruptor is experience. And more often than not, it's digital disruption. It's meeting the customer where they're at. They want to engage with you digitally. They want speed. They want ease. They want those things. And the organization that has the best experience is going to win. Every time. And so, and, and that's where it's just, you got to be so vigilant as an organization and in investing in that because that will be the true differentiator. And particularly in a world of economic headwinds, more than ever, you have to focus on experience. And you like, have to be aware be... like of, of what's happening around you and, and your competition and what they're up to, you know, yeah, to make sure that you're staying focused. But like, you don't want to lose sight. Like I said it on my last episode is like people that like, change their app just for the sake of changing their app. Like, don't do that. Like if, if right. you've got an app that's working and people have like the positive interaction with it, don't gunk it up just because someone else off to the far fringe is doing something that you think would be cool to do. You know, like if I'm using your app, like on a, if I'm a daily driver of your app, I'm probably, you probably did something right. Uh, another customer experience thing around exactly around that is that I heard on the same guy. Um, I don't know. Have you ever heard of the Steven Van Bellingham at all before? Uh, I haven't. I haven't. Uh, it was actually, I went into this, like the video that I watched of like thinking it was going to kind of be super cheese ball. Cause it was like a, a guy in like pants that weren't fitting right. Like with a clicker and like a green screen behind him, but it was actually pretty interesting to me. And one of the things that he said too, was like, think about the last like couple of apps that you've downloaded that weren't like, weren't ones that like you weren't going for like a target or something like that, but like a new app that you quote discovered and how many chances did you give that new app before you mm -hmm. like either gave up or you decided to keep using it? And he said that most of the time people don't count individual chances. They count seconds. And I will say 100%, probably of the last 10 apps I've downloaded, probably only two stuck around more than one time opening it in 15 to 20 seconds. If it's trying to ask me, first of all, if it's trying to ask me for like username and password on something that has no need for that. And it's like the old, old, old iPhone, like pop-up. That means like, first of all, it's junk technology. They're probably just scraping my data and like, I never want it. But it's just like all these little things that he was like, it's like, how many chances do you really give something before you give up? And I think that that says a lot if you, especially if you know why people are giving up and where they're giving up, you know, what'd you screw up? But it's just, that's how short you have as a company to have useful engagement and like meaningful yeah. engagement and a good experience for your customer. Like, it's not minutes, it's not hours, it's seconds. And I think people need to remember that. So. Yeah, 100%. In fact, yeah, there was, um, I did a, a presentation at a global web summit for a company a couple of, um, couple of weeks ago. And there was, a, there was a data point that I shared and I'm actually trying to, trying to dig it up. But, but you're right, like, and it's actually, it, it's, it's, it's not only seconds, but it's actually gotten less. Like it, it just continues to go down when you think of customer engagement. It just, it's, it's getting ridiculous how short a period of time you have to deliver a great experience and to keep their attention. Um, it's actually quite, quite scary if you think about it. So you know, that's, it, that's that yeah. TikTok to blame. Everybody says for that, right? For shortening our attention. <laughs> I don't know if it's really them because I'm not eight a TikToker. Seconds. Eight seconds. Think about average, that, everybody. Average, average customer attention span has dropped to eight seconds. 
that do you have a like, do you have like a timeline for how quick that went down by chance on there? I was, uh, I'm sure I can dig it up. Sure yeah, I can no, 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 no worries on that. Like, I don't want you to have to go through this. Uh, I think actually when you and I did our, our initial prep call for this, uh, you were mentioning that you were going to go and do that, that, um, that, that speaking engagement. How did, how'd it go? That's right. <laughs> yeah. That was great. It's great. Yeah. I mean, it's an organization that is definitely focused on digital. They are, they're making a big, big push to go win in digital. And I think it's going to pay off for them big time. And so, no, the, the conversation was great. Um, solid team. I'm impressed. I'm, I'm excited to see what they do over the next couple of years. Cause I think the way that they're looking at digital, they're going to be a leader. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I love doing those panels and things like that. I think that like, the information that gets shared at those things, like I said earlier, is just so cool, you know, but the eight seconds, like that's, a, that's crazy. So that's one of those things. It's like where a website, like I, I have these apps these days, like sometimes that I, I load up and like before, especially like a shopping app, if you're prompting me to log in before you're showing me your stuff, like you've lost, like you've just lost yes. me already, you know, show me your goods, show me something cool, get my eyes feasting. And then don't ask me to log in until it's time to check out. If you even need me to, if you can figure out how to do a guest checkout successfully, like using a company like quantum metric to figure that out. Uh, it's really, really, really valuable. One of the things that I was always proud of that I, that I had at Fandango was we allowed you to guest checkout but your check your purchases still went to an account when you were ready to make an account or if you had an account. So even if you checked out as a mm. guest, if you finally logged into your account, we were able to stitch it that, Hey, you bought these oh, tickets cool. to top gun Maverick, you know, behind the scenes. So that way I could get you in and out because like most of the people were driving to the cinema or were standing outside the cinema when they were buying their tickets, you know, like day of sales are, are, are huge. And the same thing goes for concert tickets. Like, of course we sell most of the arena like months in advance, but, so many people are trying to get tickets the day of because they got their friends there now. You know, like I just sold Post Malone tickets like day of show, like two weeks ago here. I just didn't <laughs> want to go anymore. And I had the best seats too. I was so bummed that like we just were, we just got off this cruise like that next or the morning before. And I was just exhausted. Oh, and I had like, no doubt. I had like floor right next to the stage tickets and I just didn't go. But you know, such uh... is life. But it's just like <laughs> if you can find a way to get these, these customers through without, barraging them with a bunch of sign-ins or, or like even those surveys like it, it drives me crazy i know that you were qualtrics so I, I can't i can't say too many bad things because you guys weren't the offenders on it but there's another company that does it that like i'll be like in checkout and it's like would yep. you mind answering a brief five question survey like while i'm trying to put credit card details in and it overlays over the top and i'm like now's not the time guys like you prompt that survey thing like when I've been idle for a super long time, but not on that page, maybe after I would prefer after when I'm on the, the confirmation page, 100%, that's when you can prop your survey. 100%, yeah. Right. So, sometimes the best efforts to understand experience can actually be one of the biggest detractors of experience. Like you got to be I, very, very careful. I will. Uh, so sometimes what's going to happen is because, you know, uh, Delta uses that, that particular company a lot. Yes. Uh, yeah. And I, I'm just going to rage all over it one day and then not buy tickets and go buy tickets on like American, but you know, just, just out of spite. Like I'm sure they're going to miss me, but, but, uh, but I'm going to, I, mean, I mean, I mean, it's such a good point. Like, like it really is. And that's why one of the things we've invested in so heavily is having an incredibly performance system. So when you, when you implement a tag, a quantum metric tag on your site, like we're not, we're, we're not going to impact site performance because we're just like look like the purpose is is to deliver uh, it's it's to deliver an amazing digital experience and and if your efforts to do that are actually hindering it like you're doing it wrong and so you got to you got to you got to really put some thought into like hey what yes yes we want to understand 
the customer. And I think that there's a ton of value in that. And I think customers generally appreciate the fact that you're trying to understand them, but like you, that, that is not positive friction. Yeah. You gotta be very, very careful. <laughs> like I, right? I get so, like, I, I'm like, I worked in call centers. Like I was at the Netflix call center and we had to do a, um, a one question survey quote, like uh, please stay on the line for one question survey. And then we got to disconnect. Mm-hmm. But so I understand like my job counted on my results from that survey, you know, and I would probably get like one and well, it, it I had a way of delivering that line that would I would usually get a little higher um, if I slowed down a little bit and then like was really chirpy like ah, I say please stay on the line for one question survey people would stay around more than if I didn't but interesting uh, interesting but, yeah I mean I would just test that thing in different ways but I think a lot of like the me knowing that I will stick around if there's a one question survey from call centers when I have to call. Um, and I, cause I know that that poor person's livelihood. And if they tell me no, like it's not always their fault. Like if they didn't put any effort into it or they did, definitely didn't know what they're talking about, that's different. But if someone was genuinely trying to help me, like not even with the empathy, oh, I'm so sorry you're feeling this, but they were like, hey, let's get you on, get you away. Oh, wow. I, there's, dude, this is really broken. I understand where they're coming from. That's how they get paid. So I'll do those surveys. And, but I don't want to fill out like a five hour form about my entire what I, what was I thinking about when I came onto the site today what what was the clouds outside you know that sort of stuff and I think that exactly. that's where yep. like you know granted there's a ton of people that that want that information but with you guys I think it's really interesting that you can glean a lot of information about a customer and their interaction through that and and how you display that information to your customers like the the people like what would be myself and stuff and mm-hmm. I think it's pretty yep. cool. Like I, like I said, I've seen it in action, folks. It's it's really really interesting. Uh, I think that it, one of the things that that's unique with you guys too is multiple departments can get value out of it. So it's not just like a marketing department, not just a customer service department, but like everybody can get value out of the product, like the fraud team. And you guys do have a fraud tool. We'll talk about that in just a second as we uh, as we head down the uh, the final final minutes of this one. But one of the things I do want to talk about is like, obviously this is your current product, right? That you guys have. Um, do you have any like stuff on the horizon you can talk about? It's okay if you don't, you know, but like, is this like yeah. any, yeah. What's, what's your current focus? What's your new focus? What's, what's coming? Are you anything? Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things that, you know, I think I've alluded to, but we haven't really dug into really deep is why is it so hard, right? The concept of the customer shifting into digital. Yep. Everyone knows that. The concept of digital having a huge impact on a company. Yeah, I think everyone knows that too. So why is it still so hard? Like, why are there still crappy experiences everywhere? And you, in the way that you start to think about it is like, well, you, th- you look at the complexity and how fragile a digital journey is, right? One of the things we've done is we actually took like a retail experience, like an e-commerce experience. We mapped out all of the experiences that a customer can have in a retail experience. And it comes to over 60 unique experiences. You know, spanning, spanning, you know, discovery, product discovery, spanning checkout, spanning fulfillment, spanning support. Like there's all of these, these critical experiences that they can have in a digital channel. And so not only is the journey complex and, and, and very fragile, but you start to layer on all the things that can go wrong and you start to layer that on, you know, whether it's, you know, this breaks over here, this breaks over here, this times out here, there's, there's so many things that can go wrong. And so you start to look at the complexity of that and it gets fairly overwhelming. And so what we've done is we said, look, we have actually mapped out all of the micro experiences that a customer can have. So first we know the kind of like six pillars of experience for like a retail site, the six pillars of experience for a financial services organization, let's say like retail banking, the six pillars of experience for an airline. 
And then all of the micro experiences that can happen underneath those like critical pillars. And if any one of these micro experiences can break, then the whole thing can come crashing down and it can destroy the entire digital experience, right? If you have one promo code error, the whole thing can fall down. It doesn't matter how yeah. good the rest of the experience is, the whole thing falls down. And so what we've done is that we've said, look, we have, we have implemented these use cases across all these different industries many, many times. And we, we know what best in class looks like. We know what KPI someone should be looking at. We know the questions that they should be asking to get to the right needle in the haystack. Um, and so what we've done is we've actually said, look, let's actually take these best in class implementations, these, these micro experiences, and let's actually build solutions focused on those experiences out of the box in the product. And so that's what we're really working on doing is just saying like, look, instead of just taking a platform and doing whatever you want with it, which it's incredibly powerful and you can already use all, you, you, you can, you can, you can um, serve all of these use cases today with, with, with quantum metric, whether it's, I want to understand out of stock. I want to earn, you know, I want to understand promo codes. I want to understand the login experience. I want to understand all of that. You can do that today. But we've said, look, like, let's just go and create the best in class implementations, the best in class solutions. And let's just put that into the product and make it incredibly simple by doing, you know, by doing so, we reduce uh, time to value significantly. So your ability to get value out of this goes up in, in, in a massive way. We give organizations the ability to kind of like better democratize expertise and, and get to insights faster. We enable them to find the needles in the haystack, the stuff that they're not even looking for, because we're already asking the right questions out of the box. And 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 so that's that's one of the things that's that's coming. And interesting, I was um was having a dinner with a group of CIOs in retail. Uh, I don't know, it's probably six to eight weeks ago. And we were having this, this conversation. I was sitting next to this uh, luxury fashion CIO. And we were talking about his challenges. And he says, I have two critical problems. So number one is I cannot get enough technical talent. With the digital shift of customers, with all of this that's, that's going on, I simply can't get enough technical talent to optimize the way that we need to. And he said, and I guarantee every CIO around this table has the same problem. And then he said, number two, is because of this, or maybe as a function of this, but generally, I only have six to seven silver bullets I can use a year to optimize digital. And I don't know what to go do first. He said, I don't know how to prioritize. So if I have six to seven bullets and a backlog of 200 things, what are the most impactful six to seven things I should go and do? And really that's, I mean, we can do that today inside of quantum metric. And this is before he even really kind of knew what we did. We can do that today in Quantumetric, but we also really have the ability through this new solution that we're kind of rolling out to do that in a way where they can, you know what, you don't need the most um, high level, high caliber technical analyst to go and figure this stuff out. You can actually have someone that understands this very quickly. In fact, we recently did a company kickoff and we had everyone in the company log into the product, into the new technology that we're going to be rolling out. And we had them do some tasks to see if they could identify areas of friction or areas of opportunity across a range of different kind of mock sites. And the team that won was um, some folks on our people team. So we're talking like, these aren't technical analysts. These are people that, that maybe have not even logged into quantum metric for a long, long time. And they yeah. were able to use this, this, this new interface to go solve these problems. So yes, we can help you fix that problem with, I don't have enough technical talent, or I don't know what the needles in the haystack are, or I don't know how to prioritize my optimization efforts we can help organizations do that. And we're going to be able to do that faster than anyone else. Um, and I would say even today, we can do it faster than anyone else, but we said we need to go disrupt ourselves and do this in a way where it's even faster and even better. And so those are some of the things that are coming out on the horizon. Sorry, that was a really long-winded answer. No, very that's, simple question. I mean, look, so you're the star of the show. This is why uh, this is why you're going to be the, the final episode of the, the whole season is because I knew we were going to get down and dirty into 
things that matter. And and a lot of my episodes, you know, like they're they're fun, they're lighthearted. I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to any, you know, like it's a lot of people that I've known for a really long time. But my my episodes that do really, really, really well um, are the ones that are more technical. And I think that that we've been pushing into that here as like actually explaining mindsets of customers and what they actually do and why things are why things are the way the way that they are now and areas yeah. of opportunity that I, I think a lot of my 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 normal audience probably haven't really ever thought about. Um, especially like the experience experience stuff. Like what is experience? I don't know. Like I had never been really familiar with customer experience as a term until I, I came to iHerb actually, because like it was just never something that was really in my my wheelhouse. And now it's something that because my company here is so sensitive to customer insults, like we have this whole team dedicated to making sure the experience and it's got me really thinking about my my fit into it. And I and I I would say that I've thought I've been conscious of it more than I had then probably a lot of people in my industry have been like through my whole career. Like I, I always try to not wind up on the, um, the late night messages that are going out, like the, uh, the critical, uh, the blowups of everything, you know, where they're like, who's, <laughs> who's causing this? As long as I stay off of any sort of, um, bad radar, I'm usually uh, pretty good. So I try and, I try and really think about how, how we're, how we're, fitting into the rest of the organization you know and, and obviously i don't want to be yeah. uh blown up on twitter when i was at my last company obviously a lot of eyes were on what i would do um so i would get a lot of of direct messages from people that were upset that they, their orders were blocked and they didn't get to go see you know uh the migos or whoever it might have been on the at the time uh <laughs> but i think that like with your guys's product you know it's it i, I just want everybody to know like i've seen it it's it's something that like that you as an organization can use yourselves. Like it's not quantum metric coming to you and telling you these things. Like they're not taking the data, analyzing it and coming back to you. I mean, I'm sure that you guys have professional services and, and, and managed services that, that will help out with that. But these are very much something that you can log into their platform and you can see these things yourself as the end user. You can see the journey. You can see the, the pain points. You can see the friction points, the mad clicks the hot zones, all of that, you can, you could see the session, like the actual session being replayed for you kind of like a movie. I wouldn't really put it like a movie, you know, which it's, it's super interesting to see because everybody interacts with like, like you build something and you think, you know, how people are going to use it, but I'll tell you, people will find a way to use your site that you never even dreamed of. And it's really interesting yep. to see how people move through your site, where they click. Like, you know, I, I know like when I log into Netflix, where I click, where I go, but that doesn't mean that my neighbor's doing it the same way. You know, they might have a completely different process of the things that they click on first when they go in, you know? And I think it's yep. super interesting for, for, for people to be able to see that. And like I said, it's something you do yourselves as the end user. So, yeah. Yeah. You know what? I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because in this space, and yes, we have an amazing services team. We do a lot of kind of insights delivery. Like we have, you know, the the people are really, you know, a, a big part of what makes Quantum so successful. But as you were saying, you know, from a technology perspective, you know, particularly in the space of experience and digital, time is time is money. Like, you know, when you got thousands oh, yeah. of people coming to your site, like you can't afford to go minutes, hours, days without knowing that there's a serious problem that is impacting experience. Like you need to know about it now. And so if you're waiting for us to come back to you with a, hey, here's your prioritized list, you know, three weeks later, well, that doesn't do me any good today. Like it needs to be like, what do I need to do today yeah. to go and dramatically impact the experience? And so that is why we we have this concept called continuous product design, which is really like, 
like, you know, to really distill it down, it's this concept of like, you really need these teams working together. Organizations invest a ton of money and a ton of people in digital optimization. And it's a really important thing, but typically these teams are working in, in silos over here. Like this team's over here focused on performance and this oh, team's focused on you acquire on that this one, team, <laughs> you know, and this team's focused on voice of customer, you know? And so like, how do you actually get them operating off of the same manual, the business teams and the technical teams speaking the same language and prioritizing things the same way. And that's where we're seeing massive gains within organizations is when they do this. And we actually, there's a slide that I, um, you know, that we, we often talk about of like digital process improvement. And what does it traditionally look like? Well, you get some kind of signal from a call center, voice of customer, executive escalation, and it comes down into the product team and they sit and look at it and say, okay, um, well, let's send it to the analytics team and see if they can figure out why uh, this is going on. And so the analytics team is digging into it and figuring out why. And then once they maybe kind of triangulate on what's going on, they send it to the engineering team and they're trying to say, well, how do I prioritize this? What's the impact on the business? Where do I put it in the backlog? And then maybe if they have a chance to do that, they get that done. And all of a sudden, weeks and weeks later, you actually get done what you need to on that front. Whereas with Quantum, what we try to do is to say, look, we're just going to notify you. We're going to tell the right teams when something is going on. We're going to help you understand the impact and the quantification really out of the gate and attach the why. Here's exactly what's going on. So you can reduce that for weeks down to, you know, hours, minutes, whatever it is yeah. that, that you really need to, to drive optimization. And so time is money in this space. So we can't afford to say, you know what, you got to wait for us to come back to you and tell you what to do. Yes, we have the ability to do that. We can have great strategic sessions with a lot of companies and we do that regularly. However, when it comes to the day-to-day -day optimization, you need all of these groups to be able to come in and use the technology to understand what's going on. And I, I, I understand the name quantum metric now. That actually, it all makes sense to me now. It's actually <laughs> means what you do, quantifying the metrics. Wow. Um, okay. Go. So that's pretty cool. And like I see right on your on your website, you have the continuous product design is like your highlighted thing right there, and it, it has insight. So anybody that wants to know more, clearly I'm going to put um, all of the the links to to the site. Uh, and your, your I'll probably find some one pagers and stuff on here to give to give to the folks. Uh, let's probably we're, we're button up against time here. I know your time, you're, you're a busy man and I don't want to, to take away from you too much there. As we wrap this up, I typically do ask, um, what are the top three trends happening in your specific world? Now, obviously, um, like you guys do have a fraud tool too. Uh, and we never, we didn't really touch on that. You guys do have a fraud tool. I'm going to put links to, to your guys's, uh, fraud stuff and, and have everybody be able to find the team and reach out for demos on the fraud tool, because you can use these same insights to you in your fraud tool and it's really really powerful i know people in our industry that use you guys as their fraud tool and they have uh very 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 positive things to say about you guys so as, if there's anything you want to say there and then launch into the three things that'd be super great <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah so i mean from a from from a fraud perspective i mean it's it is something that we we have a ton of use cases on that front there's any financial services organizations gaming organizations a range of things and and really when you think of digital exhaust and, and what you can identify around patterns of fraud, like you actually, like it gives you a really interesting insight and way to go and, and uh, um, drive a lot of fraud prevention inside of organizations. And, and so, I mean, it is, it is a critical use case. It's a use case we're going to continue to invest in as well. Um, and I think it's one of the kind of key pillars of experience too, is that your, your customers expect you to go and get this stuff taken care of. And we enable you to do that. I mean, there's, there's one company that we work with. I mean, you know, one of the ways that they identified, um, you know, fraudulent users was kind of logging into multiple accounts. Like that was a critical thing. And so over a month, they identified over 1,200 account IDs that were being used by, you know, a couple of hundred users. And very quickly, it's like, okay, we know that we can go and fix that. 
you know, we got an average, someone is logging into nine different accounts, we can go and shut that down. And so just understanding the behavioral and technical characteristics of what's going on has really empowered these kind of fraud uh, prevention teams to go and take significant action. And again, and that's, that's critical when it comes to meeting the expectations of experience around your customers. Um, and so that's absolutely an emerging use case that is that is very, very common. Some of the other things that we're seeing, you know, and I've, I've referenced a couple of them too. You know, I think one of the most powerful ones is a combination of, of experience data and operational data coming together to give, give, give context and really kind of uh, finish the equation together. So we're seeing a lot of that happening. Um, and really we're seeing, um, I would say from a trend perspective, our data is being infused to help organizations more effectively um, get value out of the existing investments they've made inside of customer experience, right? So you look at, look, maybe we're capturing digital voice of customer, but we need something to help give us drive action and actionability. And we also need something to help us prioritize what should we go and do across yeah. all the different voices that we're hearing. And, uh, you know, or within experimentation, right? We talked about personalization and experimentation. Well, how do you know if an experiment really succeeded unless you're looking at the behavioral characteristics or how do you even know where to experiment? Unless you're looking behaviorally at what's going on on a site. And so we're doing a ton in connecting with those companies inside of those kind of like spaces of user testing and 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 um, experimentation to help them really kind of inform where they should be going and what they should be looking at. So we're actually seeing from a trend perspective, these worlds coming together in a really beautiful way to drive optimization efforts together. Um, we're also seeing, you know, I've, I've already talked about a massive shift of digital. Digital is now yep. a boardroom initiative. There's a massive retailer that we work with where digital was kind of like, you know, it was a channel. It's kind of like it's one of our stores kind of a perspective. Uh, Post-pandemic, it is now a boardroom conversation. We are talking about digital. It is it is one of the most, if not the most critical experience and channel that we need to go yeah. and deliver on. And then we're also just seeing, you know, as complexity increases in digital, we're seeing organizations really, really focus on on how do we drive better optimization with the broader technology stack that we have playing together. And so, you know, there, there's a lot of other things and some other things will probably come to mind around some of the trends that we're seeing. And I think also getting very focused in on the micro experiences instead of just saying, you know what, um, let's just go and focus maybe just primarily on checkout. It's like, no, there, there yeah. is a broad set of experiences that you actually need to be looking at and thinking about and and getting focused on the pillars and the micro experiences of experience within digital. We're seeing organizations start to reorient to that concept and focused on outcomes and experiences compared to features and functions within technology. And I think it's changing the game. That's an excellent way to put it. Like that is an excellent way to put it. Like I think this, especially this behavioral piece of the business, like we in the fraud industry, like started to watch behavioral and then we kind of got away from it and went back to identity and especially back to identity now with the ATOs and identity verification services. Like that's kind of just where we just went back to. But I think the, the behavioral piece is, is such a broad thing that can be applied to so many areas. And if you can tap into like the behavioral quantification of data from your customers, like it's the sky is almost limitless there. Like it really is like you can apply those sorts of things to find out the why everywhere from how they like interact with content on your site, how they make the purchases, how they leave reviews, how they log in. Like there is so much to be had in mm -hmm. watching the behaviors of the customer. And I love that you're saying to bring it all together because when like the multi-layered lasagna approach, it, it, this could be a, a real thick layer of beef right across the middle of that lasagna, you know? So, yeah. So, <laughs> excellent. Well so, so thank you very much for, for giving your very valuable time to me today. And I think that this was, a, this was, I had a lot of fun. I learned a lot. Um, you answered a lot of questions. I think you framed everything in a, in a really, really interesting way. So thank you. Thank you very much. Jordan. Hey man, this is a pleasure.
it really is a pleasure to be here. Um, and uh, thank you for the invitation. It really, it really it, uh, means a lot. Yeah, you're going to have to give me a call next time you're in L.A. I'll take you to dinner. It's on me now. <laughs> Dude, it sounds great. And you are a natural. I got to tell you, like, Thank like you. you, you do incredibly well on this, and I've done a couple of other podcasts here and there. Like you, you have a knack for this in a in an amazing way. So, thank um, you. I'm leaving well that done in. To you. I mean it. <laughs> you do, do, please do. So awesome. impressive. Well, you're welcome back anytime. Um, I will put links to your company all over this thing. I'll write a nice little bio for you. But hey, thanks again for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jordan. Take care. We'll talk soon.